Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, gang. It's Alex here. Uh, Not our usually scheduled podcast day, uh, but I'm popping in with a little something extra for you this week. Now, we did mention it on last week's podcast, and I said it was going to go out on Sunday, but let's face it, this is me we're talking about, and this organisation is my middle name, so you've got it on the Monday instead. Um... This is just something extra that we thought you might find interesting. A few weeks back, we had the lovely Kate Thompson, uh, the author of the Little Wartime Library, come on the podcast. Uh, Lovely guest, and she'll be coming back at some point, I'm sure. We had a great time chatting to her. But she said, oh, I have a friend who uh, is... Uh, has a link to the Match Girls, and I know you've done an episode on them. Uh, would you like to chat to her? And when she said that she was this lady was related to one of the Match Girls, we almost bit her hand off. Now it's taken a little while to get uh, our dates aligned, um, but I had a fabulous chat this week with Sam Johnson, uh, all about her relative who was a member of the Match Girls. So please enjoy this, and we'll be back on Wednesday with your normally scheduled podcast. Bye. Right, gang. Well, I have a real treat for you today because we are joined by um, somebody who is actually linked to one of our previous podcasts. Um, We have we're joined today by Sam Johnson, who is the chair of the board for the Match Girls Memorial and who has a very personal link to one of the Match Girls herself. So, Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. Lovely to be here. So can you first of all tell us what is your particular link to the Match Girls strike? Okay, so I am the great granddaughter of Sarah Chapman, who was one of the um, the prominent players in in the Match Girl strike. So, um, yeah, I discovered this by accident several years ago. Um, <laughs> Happy accident! And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and my world, my life has been a whirlwind ever since. That's so wonderful. And I mentioned that you're the chair of the board of the Match Girls Memorial. So, what is that? Where is that? What's the? Uh, how did how did you get involved with that? Okay, so the Match Girls Memorial was um, a charitable organisation that we set up in March 2019. Um, This was sort of two and a half years after I discovered um, Sarah, which sort of sent me and my husband diving into every possible bit of research we possibly could to find out more about the strike because it was such an amazing story and we're so excited to be linked to it. And after doing um, sort of research and we had a memorial walk and we did various little... um, bits and pieces but then we thought hang on there needs to be something more to this they, mm. these match girls need a statue they need recognition because what they did was you know they were at the forefront of new unionism and you know trade union trade unionism as it became <laughs> um you know the the new unionism was um 
you know, just at the beginning of the late 1800s was really yeah. getting going with the dock strike, etc. Um, and so we thought they really need to be um, remembered. And, and especially in the East End, you know, there's lots and lots of people, communities, schools that have never even heard of them. Mm. And this is an amazing history for the whole of the UK, really. all workers but but you know in particular it happened right in the heart of the east end and we really felt that that should be celebrated now your link to sarah chapman so what you said that you only found out recently when you found out how well how did you find out for starters because if that was my family i'd be devastated if i found out i hadn't come down the line and i'd been told it (laughs) as a child where how, how did you find that out yeah so well it was really weird because i started doing my own family history research back in 2002 and uh, I had two relatively young children still at the time and I very quickly realized I didn't have time to yeah. do it <laughs> so um, I put it back in the box but what I had discovered up to that point was that I had quite a lot of ancestors living in the East End particularly in Bethnal Green who were silk weavers and they were all called Dearman and um, that was our surname and well, it's my maiden, my maiden name. And, and how, how is that spelled? D-I-A-R-M-A-N. So we had this this kind of notion that, you know, maybe being silk weavers in the East End, they could have been Huguenots. So de Armen. So anyway, I didn't think too much about this for many years. And then I had lunch one Sunday in September 2016 with some cousins and they said, oh, you know, just get it out and see if you can find that link to Huguenots. Just, just dig out your family yes, history. Cousins, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. So, um, so the the next morning, I went home and I just, I kind of thought, well, where shall I start? I'll start with my great grandparents, um, because it was my great grandfather, whose father and grandfather and great grandfather were all called Francis Dearman. They were all silk weavers. So I thought, you know, that's a good place to start. So I typed into Google, Charles Henry Dearman and Sarah Chapman, who was his wife, didn't really think too much about that. Um, and then this this kind of post popped up from Ancestry, which was requesting information um, about Charles Henry Dearman and Sarah Chapman, who had a daughter called Sarah, who lived in Bushy. And as I read it, I thought, crikey, this is, this is my grandparents. <gasps> this is interesting. Uh, only nothing to do with Huguenots, nothing to do with uh, Charles Henry Dearman. This was Sarah Chapman, one of the strike leaders of the Match Girl strike. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just had no idea. I'd had a picture of this woman on my wall for years and years. No idea. I just thought she was my dear little old great grandmother. I didn't think that, you know, that she had a story. And none of it came down through the family. Nobody knew anything about it at all. Um, and it was only because this this um, now friend of mine, Anna Robinson, Dr. Anna Robinson, had written her thesis about the Match Girls and had decided to focus on Sarah Chapman. And she actually produced this, this thesis, which is um, stored in the Bishopsgate Institute now. The, the, the strange thing was, and where I had to do a little bit of detective work, was that Anna wrote this back in 2003, 2004, I only read it in 2016 and I was thinking, oh, no, I need to find this woman. So so again, I mean, thank goodness for the Internet. I did some more searching and I managed to find Anna. 
she's she's also a poet and she had her own website oh my goodness. um thankfully called anna robinson.com or something like that <laughs> <Phew>. so <laughs> yeah so i so i wrote to her and i just on the off chance you know because there's there must be look quite a few anna robinsons in the world mm. right so i wrote to her and i just said look you know i don't know um this is a bit of a long shot but you're not the anna robinson that wrote this thesis about sarah chapman about 13 years ago are you and she came straight back and she said yes that's me so um so we met up and and had a sandwich together just near waterloo one afternoon and it was it was wonderful and um she so she knew more about my my ancestor yeah, than i have. did and um and it was just the beginning of just you know just a wonderful story really and um it was so, yeah it, it's i mean it's, it's really fascinating i think you know having finding somebody like that in your family so we hmm. sarah chapman is and I'm pretty sure we mentioned her name last time when we did it. I'd need to go back and listen to the whole thing to be sure. Why is it that Anna picked Sarah Chapman? So she clearly must have a very important role in the whole Match Girls uh, scenario. That's the wrong word, but you know what I mean. So yes, why, yeah, why yeah. was she picked? What, who, tell us about Sarah Chapman. Well, I think um, the reason that, that Anna chose her, I think she said at the time, was that she was slightly unusual in that her family were very kind of stable. So she was the fifth of seven children, I think. She still lived with her mum and dad, all of her siblings. Um, and they, they were all born in and lived in around Stepney. And they seemed to, she was born in um, one place. And by the time she was nine, they'd moved to another place. And she lived there the whole time, right up through to the strike um and Which is unusual because so, the East End is quite transient, isn't it? As, yeah, yeah, as absolutely. It's yeah, yeah. Lots and lots of um of the other workers were moving around, you know, all the time. I mean, even between the strike and the eighteen ninety one census, when you'd think you might be able to get some information, quite a few of them had moved on by then and you couldn't you couldn't really trace what had happened to them. But Sarah was different and she had stayed. And the the other thing that was interesting about Sarah was that they actually had a strike register. Um, where, I mean, many of them probably went off to the hop fields to get other work somewhere when when they sort of walked out on strike and they needed to go and get some money from somewhere. But mm. over seven hundred of them signed up to the strike fund, mm. and they were they they had to um, give their names on the strike register in order to claim their their strike pay, and um, it gives their pay for the week before the strike in that strike register and sarah was by far the the most well paid of all of oh, them really? um i mean a lot of them were sort of took home maybe four five six shillings a week and she had something like i think it was like 13 shillings or something Gosh. now there, there could be a few reasons for that it could be that she was quite well established and she sort of worked her way up we know that in 18 81 she was just listed on the census as a, a match making machinist right um and by the time she was um when they had the strike she was called a booker um okay. and worked in the patent office now we've never really quite discovered what a booker was but it sounds more important than a machinist i guess yeah. <laughs> and could have it could be that that carried more pay She'd also probably been working at the factory since she was 12 or 13 years old. And mm. um, by the time of the strike, she was one of the older ones and she was 25. So wow. it could be, again, that she was more established, you know, trusted. I, I, I don't know. Um, but there, there could have been several factors. And the other thing is, of course, lots of them had such low pay because they were 
they they had all of these unfair fines inflicted on them. So mm. for any kind of petty reason, you know, drop a match, come to work with dirty feet, you're late, you mm. go to the loo without asking, all of these things meant that they had their pay docked. And then so maybe Sarah was just especially cute at that not getting fined. Maybe. Um, I don't know. So whether she was in a more privileged position or whether she was just good at avoiding fines or whether it's because she'd been there for such a long time, who knows? But she did seem to have more money than others and she did appear to have a, this fairly stable background. So in a way, yeah. it kind of made her interesting because she wasn't like one of the kind of typical um you know lots of fines um, moving house a lot so maybe it made her yeah. kind of slightly interesting from that perspective um but she she was definitely involved in the strike um from the from the get-go and it was you know you kind of think it doesn't really quite hang together that she's this person who's got all of this potential privilege in her position if you like mm. um and yet she's willing to throw it all up in the air to go out and strike to stand up for what she believes in and she clearly did believe it very yeah. strongly um to to risk you know everything that she had and we don't have that. any information about why she i mean i suppose if she's come up from the ground she'll have had exactly the same conditions as them all and she her conditions probably yeah. aren't much better even no, though, no no you know, i mean so she I guess there's reasons, but we don't have any actual evidence for for her decision making behind that, do we? But there's no real evidence. I mean, just I know that my um, my cousin, whose son was her youngest son, he was a strong trade unionist, and and apparently he had sort of said something to my cousin about potentially, you know, he he got it from his mum, um, right. you know. So I think she maybe was a woman of conviction, and and I know that my my dad had related that his mum, who was her daughter-in-law, had kind of um, suggested that she was quite a strong force. You have um, to be. So I think she was probably a force to be reckoned with. Um, yeah. I think she she knew what she believed in, and she you know she did stand up for that. And when they they walked out on strike one day, and the next day. So I think there was, you know, there's the numbers vary who depending on where you read the reports, but it's up to fourteen hundred people worked walked out of the factory the day they walked out on strike, and Huge one number. or two, yeah, it is loads. And then one or two hundred of them the next day marched down to Bouvery Street, which is off, just off Fleet Street, to to sort of tell Annie Besant what they'd done because mm. you know she'd written this article in her magazine, The Link, yeah. called White Slavery in London, which. Um, which based on interviews with some of the girls at the factory, she'd kind of reported how awful the conditions were. Mm. And it was really after that that, you know, there'd been a little bit of disgruntlement at the factory. Somebody was sacked. It was the last straw. They'd all yeah. just had enough. You know, they, they'd walked out on strike before, but they didn't have any external support before. Whereas now they, they look to Annie, they thought, well, you're you're quite important. You might be able to help us here. So they marched down to see her, um, and you can imagine her looking out the window. And there's like two hundred people down below. It's like, <laughs> I can't talk to all of you. So um, she asked for a deputation of them to go into her office so she could actually speak to them. And <clears throat> the three that went in were two married women, Mary Knowles and Mary Cummings, and Sarah Chapman. Wow. So, so already she's she's coming out at the top of the yeah of the already pile at that early of, stage she's. 
you know, whether she just had a lot to say for herself or whether whether because she was one of the older, more established ones, they kind of perhaps mm. thought that she would be taken more seriously that rather than sending in a, you know, a, a kind of a 13-year-old or something, maybe they okay. thought sending these more mature women in would get Annie to kind of take notice of them. So, um, and Annie, of course, she didn't agree with strike action, really. She, she preferred to change by reform, but... Mm. Um, you know, they'd already walked down the street. It was a bit late, so <laughs> so um, she did. She agreed to kind of help them where she could, and she, you know, she did. She introduced them to some, you know, some significant people, and uh, fifty-six of them marched down to Parliament with Annie, yeah. and she took twelve of them in to the lobby to meet some MPs, mm. and that would have been undoubtedly that would have included the strike committee, which Sarah was on as well. There was only eight girls on the on the actual committee i mean obviously lots of them were very active and they were they did act as a as a you know a communal um force mm. but they had to have spokespeople you know they had yeah. to have people who were going to stand up and actually speak speak for them and i mean it's one of my kind of pet um things that i like to make sure that we mention their names because so many people talk about um the match girl strike and they say oh yeah that's that one that Annie Besant yeah. and it's not I mean it's not quite that's not quite the story and she gets um you know claim I mean she never actually claimed herself that she led it it just you know she was the the middle class social reformer so she's the name that all the papers knew so that she was the name yeah. that got churned out time and time again and I think she at one point she was offered the opportunity to to sort of head it up and she turned it down didn't she I think I so yeah yeah. So, and she, you know, so she, but she, she definitely did help them. She introduced them to, you know, as I said, to the MPs and they, they, to Toynbee Hall got involved, the London Trades Council. But, but, but to me, I think that, you know, that strike committee of girls, they were the ones that were going around doing the business, you know, talking yeah. to people and They're the powerhouse. And, exactly. Yeah. And, and apart from the three I just mentioned, you know, Alice Francis, Kate Sclater, Mary Driscoll, Jane Wakeling and Eliza Martin. They were the other five that made up that strike committee. And, you know, really forceful young women. Um, mm. I'm, I think Mary Driscoll was only 14 at the time. So, you know, they, they really knew what they wanted and they, they weren't frightened to stand up. You know, they'd stand up at Mile End Waste or go to Charrington's Hall. You know, anywhere they had the opportunity to, they would stand up and speak about their plight. And, you know, it, it got the the notice of the papers etc so you know it was it was um really good and i mean to me i always find it amazing that it was only 12 days later mm. um that um you know the 5th of july they walk out and on the well on the 16th the london trade council went and spoke to the directors because by this time i think the directors were thinking oh this is getting a bit uncomfortable lots of public opinion going against them and you know, they could see that the tide of change was not in their favour. Mm. And so they agreed to meet the committee of the match girls. And so these eight would have gone to the board in, and met in the boardroom and basically, um, you know, just stated their case. And it was unbelievable. I mean, they, you know, in the great scheme of things, they weren't asking for anything huge. They wanted, no. please, please stop giving us these unfair fines you know please give give the girls um you know barrows to push 
um, goods around in and not having to carry them on their heads and lose their hair. Please give us somewhere else safe to eat our lunch so that we don't have to ingest phosphorus. It, it boils down to please treat us like humans, not animals. It, absolutely, absolutely. Which is not a lot to ask. No, exactly. So, you know, so they were... Um, they were granted all of the things that they asked for, which was fantastic. And one of the things, of course, was to to form a union because the, the foremen were pretty horrible, I think. Mm. You know, it was very common for them to be harshly treated on the shop floor if they dared do anything wrong. They could be clipped round the ear or worse. And if they did complain about anything, of course, it would never get to yeah. the directors. It wouldn't get that far. So by forming a union, they actually had a vehicle through which to, to kind of voice their their concerns and have you know have their concerns raised before it got to the stage of them walking out on strike again it's very very clever yeah and, so, and um, so brave because these these girls like you say they're east end children a lot of them mm-hmm. they've only known you know like you say they're coming they get fined if they come with dirty feet some of them came without shoes they didn't have shoes exactly. and all of a sudden they're being taken to board meetings to parliament the, the fish out of water completely uh, it must Absolutely. have been very intimidating and and when you see things like that you know that the the power lies with the people who are already in power because that's their uh, environment so they're not going to get phased by that so it's really yeah. it's, it's a massive thing yeah absolutely yeah and uh, but they were so um you know fiery these girls i think they were really ready for you know for, for a fight really to i mean it was it's quite funny i quite often when i do talks i quite often talk about some of the things that they get up to outside of the factory life so they did like to sing music songs and they liked they had their feather clubs where they would put in money each week and draw lots to see who get the money to go and buy a fancy new feather for their hat Fantastic. and they go strutting down the mile end road on a saturday night singing music hall songs and Wonderful. you know they they had a, but they also did apparently um like to settle their differences by having a good old you know, roll your sleeves up and have a fight. <laughs> and that they weren't allowed to do it inside the factory. So they'd wait until they came out of work at the end of the day. And then they kind of all, you know, form a ring and then they kind of have a fisticuffs to sort That's out. That's an East End girl right there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So they, they were certainly, they certainly knew, you know, just through their, you know, the hardship that they had to suffer. Yeah. And, you know, on top of not having very much money at home. And I mean, I think Sarah was probably one of the more fortunate ones that, you know, she did have other siblings and and parents who both worked at the time as well. So they probably did have enough money. They probably lived all on top of each other, but they did have enough money to, to eat. So she was probably more fortunate in that, that respect, I would imagine um, than some of the others. And you can imagine some of them probably did really live in, in terrible, terrible Mm -hmm. conditions. And also you mentioned not having a method to complain or or not having your complaints listened to. Again, if you complain overly, you're going to lose your job and that's your entire lifeline. So you're, it's, it's, you know, what if you've got everything to lose by doing that? So it it even, it makes the strike even more powerful and even more brave. Um, But it's powering numbers. And like you say, 1400 of them walking out, that's going to paralyze production. There's, they are holding them to account. It's it's amazing. They are, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you say about them, you know, um, having their complaints not heard, etc. But also, um, they could be dismissed if they started to show signs of 
yeah. um, fuzzy jaw. We you know, so oste that, yeah. osteonecrosis, which is this debilitate, debilitating um, cancer of the jaw, um, that the fo white phosphorus. And of course, they they didn't have to use white phosphorus. The bosses nope. could have chosen to use red phosphorus, which was more expensive, but yeah. you know also more healthy so it would have meant that their staff would have you know not su suffered as much but but they their overheads yeah ah, if, if they start to show yeah absolutely and, and if they started to show any kind of signs of teeth falling out or mm. you know they, they well first of all they'd be ordered to go and have all their teeth taken out or if worse if they got even more ill they'd just be given the sack that was yeah. it we don't need you anymore sorry we've you know caused you this fatal illness but now you have to go on you know lose your job yeah. so it's it, they it was a lose lose all round so it was you know the time for change was was definitely there in the late 1800s and yeah. it was yeah I, I always kind of call it a potent mix with the you know the match girls their kind of grit and determination to want to change their lot yeah. um coupled with the happy coincidence that there were these social reformers around mm -hmm. who who were willing to kind of you know move Give a few things really yeah, yeah. Because the, the girls yeah. don't have that that recourse to, well, they don't have a voice, and if they if they even if they shouted, nobody was going to listen. But someone like Annie Besant, who was in the right social strata and mixing with the right people, had the voice, so she could be the mouthpiece and they could be the powerhouse, and that that is a winning combination right there. Yes, absolutely. Goodness me. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, and then they they formed the union, which was you know a wonderful wonderful thing for them to have because it did mean that they could. They could make their voices heard, even you know, within their own factory. And was that just a union only for the match girls? So when they first formed the union, it was called the Union of Women Matchmakers. Um, but but at the factory, although we always called them the match girls, it was a predominantly young female workforce. That's why yeah. it's it's the match girls. But there were men and boys that worked there. And so I think very quickly they they dropped the women and it was just the union of matchmakers. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so, but I think they actually had their first, their inaugural meeting of the union only 10 days after the strike was won. Yeah. And um, Sarah Chapman was made the president, which was kind of, to me, indicate how, you know, her, the, the position that they the others thought of her you know that mm. they saw her as somebody that would stand up for them and and say the right things and she actually went with Annie Besant to the International TUC in London later wow. that year um and it was striking to me that um excuse the pun striking <laughs> it was um she went to the international TUC, there was only about 70 or so delegates. So it's very small, small um, affair. Only five women, and two Goodness. of those women were Annie Besant and Sarah Chapman. Wow. So that's that kind of tells a story of its own, really. Isn't it just? Um, and then two years later, in 1890, Sarah, again, she went up to Liverpool, which could be the only time she ever left London. She went up to Liverpool for a week to the Trade Union Congress that year, and um, which incidentally, it's there again this year. So I'm thinking oh. I might go up there this year just to see. I, just, I went yeah. to the same same place as Sarah. So um, she um, she must have felt like completely, well, I mean, what an experience to go from, yeah. you know, working in a factory in the East End to, to going up and 
you know, rubbing shoulders with. By that time, there were 500 delegates and still only 10 women. So, you know, even though the TUC had been going since 1868, so it was, you know, it's kind of um, 30, 30 years in and still, well, no, my my maths is wrong there. Hang on. 20 years, 20 years in, 22 years in. (laughs) You're still better at maths than me, so I wouldn't worry. (laughs) (laughs) I only, I've got a maths degree. I didn't know this. 22 (laughs) years later, um, it's... um, incredible that still only 10 women out of 500 were yeah you know 10 of them were women it's just incredible to me but underrepresented the women were and and we do later see things like the Dagenham uh, workers the the women at the Dagenham plant absolutely and and they didn't have any representation so clearly you know unions fine for the men and fine okay we'll let the odd woman in if they get a little bit too vocal but but most women in the workplace it seems were not being was that represented particularly? No, absolutely not. No. And I think what the thing, the story I really love about the 1890 TUC is that there was um, a motion put forward related to the Truck Act. Now, the Truck Act was um, the act that that um, related to the fact that workers had to buy their own materials. So workers right. in factories um, and and home workers in particular had to buy all of their own materials and then make the product and then they'd get paid for it. So you can imagine this is not a very good system. Right. And this must have been quite close to Sarah's heart, I think, because she actually felt brave enough to stand up and second that motion. So, you know, and her name's there in black and white, so, uh, you know, having, having seconded that motion. That's so wonderful. I think that's that, again, must you know is a reflection of of how strongly she must have felt in standing up for her own her her own people I think and was that the same with the match girls then did they I know they had to buy their own brushes didn't they did they have to buy all of the other the the, you know all the wood and everything else or they no they so they didn't buy the wood there were certainly things that they did have to to buy um and particularly it was particularly the home workers that had that made the match boxes and that they had to buy all like glue, string, all sorts of things, and it was a terribly unfair practice. Um, not just in the match industry; it was, you know, it was generally in factories. It was a general kind of way, I guess, yeah. that, that you know, to, to reduce the overheads of the poor old rich fat bosses. Mm. So, um, yeah, as it ever was, it ever thus. <laughs> <laughs> And so when, when did the, um, I assume the union's not still going or did it morph into something else? Or No, so it, it we understand that it morphed into, so not long after the, the match strike, there were there was obviously the dock strike the year after mm. and, and the gas workers went out on strike as well. And um, the, um, what was the, the gas, gas makers and boiler makers um, union, GMB, was formed. And we believe that the matchmakers kind of morphed into that, yeah. into that. So whenever we speak to the GMB now, they they kind of claim it as. as their, <laughs> I've, never, I've never, yeah, absolutely. I've never actually found any written evidence that right. that happened, but it's certainly true that the after after eighteen ninety, we can't find any evidence of matchmakers unions attending uh, any of the TUCs. Right. So I'm not saying it did it didn't kind of um stop straight away but i don't think it lasted that long as that that mm. matchmakers union on its own i think it did morph into a bigger stronger part of another you know bigger stronger union and um and maybe 
maybe Sarah was the one that was willing to stand up and go and represent them because she actually, maybe it is no coincidence, she actually uh, left the factory in 1891 because she got married at the end of the year. Her dad died. Her mum and her had to move house and... Later that year, she she actually married Charles Henry Dearman, who was he was born just off of Brick Ra- Brick Lane in Bacon Street, and he was a cabinet maker. I so know Bacon Street, well, yeah. Gosh. So she she moved over to um, Bethnal Green, and as far as I can tell, she'd stayed the rest of her life in Bethnal Green. Then fabulous, good for her. Hmm. And it seems yeah, like you know she went on to have a very happy life with him, and. You know, yeah, well, they had six children, so there were certainly happy times, I guess. Definitely, yeah, <laughs> at least six of them. But, yeah, <laughs> but um, me. she, I mean, she, um, obviously on the more serious side, they lived through, you know, she lived through two world wars, and mm. she would have been in the East End at the time of the Blitz because she didn't die until she was eighty-three years old Goodness at the end me. of nineteen forty-five. Wow. Born in eighteen sixty-two, so at that time, I think that was pretty good age. Yeah. Um, but her husband died in 1922 because I think he, well, he wasn't a well man, but he, I think he liked to drop of the sauce as well, maybe gotcha. a bit too much. So, gotcha. and I think, I mean, they had six children. Um, one of them died when he was only 10 days old. Um, one of them died just around her 21st birthday. She had leukemia. Right. And another one died as a result of injuries from the first and second world um, world wars Mm. so three of them died before sarah and her husband so you know she did have a good long life and i think she was a strong kind of feisty woman by all accounts but um not without tragedy you know it it did have some sad moments i always wonder whether you know given her kind of strong stance in the match girl strike whether she was you know, involved in any way in the suffragette movement? Did she kind of get caught up with, you know... It, um, I would love to think that. Sylvia Pankhurst. It, I mean, it would be great, wouldn't it? But of course, yeah. there's, you know, there's nothing... I don't really have... The only tangible thing I have is a wooden box that, that her husband made. Yeah. And he passed it down to my granddad, who passed it to my dad, who's now given it to me. And I think, ah, oh, Sarah Chapman might have touched this box. Well, she probably wow. would have done. Her husband made it. So, um, but that's the only thing that I have there's that you know that we don't have any letters we don't have anything so um, I mean if she was involved in the suffrage movement there's a chance she might have been arrested so maybe there's an arrest record for her who knows I mean yeah. goodness it's yeah. it, what, what, I mean, what my suspicion is woman. yeah I mean my suspicion is that probably she didn't get involved too much because she had a lot of children at that time yeah, yeah. um so I don't know I mean I'd like to think that she at least went down and got involved in some rallies yeah. Um. But I don't know. It's just it's yeah, it's nice to think. What that an amazing woman! And and how fabulous for you to be to be connected to her in such a a personal way. Yeah, absolutely. After years of looking through census records and finding uh, another another farm labourer, <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, to find to find that I'm related to a wonderful match girl. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. wonderful. 
And at the very top, we mentioned that you're part of the Match Girls uh, Memorial. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Well, our first idea was for a statue, um, but we've had all sorts of ideas ever since. And we're, you know, we're continuing to work on that. So we decided to set up this organisation back in March 2019, as I said. And yeah, we've got some wonderful people on it. So we've got um, patrons that represent um the union some of the unions so the okay. gmb and unite and we have um uh anita dobson who's um some of our um listeners may may recall was in eastenders and she's actually an eastender herself she was yeah. born um not very far from the the match factory and was brought up in that area so we're very pleased to have her but then we have you know, about eight trustees of across all sorts of things, people who are in the arts, people who are activists, people who are in unions, people who are just like me, just descendants mm. and very interested in the story. And then on top of that, we have a layer of people um, who are ambassadors. So we have an ambassador from the TUC. We have an ambassador in the local council at Tower Hamlets. Um, we have an ambassador who's, you know, very um, involved in unions over his life and just all, a whole spread of, of people that, that, you know, cover the whole spectrum of, of interest that we might um, we might cover. And so, yeah, we have this wonderful team of people and we're all just aiming towards, you know, getting these memorials underway, some That's of which fantastic. some of which we already have, you know. So we helped. I mean, it wasn't our application, but the people who live in the old factory at Bow Quarter, mm. Um, in Fairfield Road um, that's now a kind of gated community with residents living there and um, the people who lived there thought that they um, ought to have a, an actual match girls plaque because yep. years ago an unofficial well a plaque was put up to Annie Besant mm -hmm. um, and while Annie Besant was very um, helpful to the match girls you know, lots of people think about her as the leader, but she mm. she wasn't the leader. She she helped them, yes, for sure. Mm. Um, but that they had their own, you know, their their own kind of force of nature to 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 make things happen. And so it was felt that they should have their own blue plaque. Absolutely. So an English heritage blue plaque was put up um, in July last year at the factory, and we were there at the unveiling, and we we you know we supported that that application in as many ways as we possibly could. We were, you know, throwing information left, right, and centre at the um, English heritage to try and encourage them Fantastic. to to say yes. And yeah, we had a great day there with lots of important people, and we had speeches, and it was a very lovely day. And um, this year we're also doing something to celebrate because obviously July is the, the the month that they went out on strike and this year is the 135th anniversary of the strike and so a couple of things are happening on the 1st of July we have um a in, an information panel that we've worked with with the Tower Hamlets council and that will be unveiled at Grove Hall Park on the 1st of July so right. we're really pleased about that because that's literally at the other end of Fairfield Road. So it's right near the factory and that will tell local people the story of the Match Girls. Wonderful. And then we will also, that same evening, um, at the Queen Mary, the Great Hall of the People's Palace at Queen Mary University, we are actually having the premiere of a new piece of music that um, in partnership with East London Music Group, we've, uh, we've commissioned a... Uh, composer to write a new piece of music about the match girls wow. and um this is just you know it's amazing you know 
um, thing to have. It's such a lovely kind of living memorial, if you like. So um, we, we're very much trying to sell tickets for that because it's a That's great, brilliant. great event. And, and so I what think date was that, did you say? It's the 1st of July. It's 7 okay. o'clock. And it's, um, yeah, the the, um, the tickets are on sale through Eventbrite. So Interesting. It's, yeah. I'm sensing a podcast evening out here. Okay. <laughs> Leave that with me. We'll see if we can. We've done this before where we've got our listeners together to come and uh, uh, all go to something together. So I think this is this is sounding uh, brilliant. Yeah, so, I um, mean, that... we, can, we can people can just come to all of these events. They can just turn Absolutely. up and book tickets. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the 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 unveiling of the panel in Grove Hall Park is we're limited on numbers there because otherwise we have to get all sorts of permissions from the council etc so that's really just going to be focused on local residents and them celebrating their own little park um and the you know the history connected to it um but the 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 evening event um at queen mary is open to all and you know i think we've got capacity for over 700 tickets wow Um, so there's there's lots of space and i think it's really exciting because it includes lots of local choirs and so we've got the east london community band Mm -hmm. uh we've got the um poplar singers we've got aldersbrook choir uh we've got i'm not gonna be able to remember them all now this is don't worry (laughs) Um, they've actually um formed a new children's choir and so it's it's really nice that all of these different choirs are coming together um to you know to, to be about 200 in the choir and band on the stage alone so I think it promises to be quite a a lovely event this is fantastic wonderful yeah so So, that's our really exciting kind of 135th anniversary piece I guess and where can people find out information about this I assume you have a website that that where all of this is listed yes yeah we have a website um it's very easy to remember just www.matchgirls1888.org and um we have we're on twitter uh, Instagram and Facebook, all at just at the, um, the at the Match Girls, I think it is. Okay. Um, so yeah, very easy to find, and um, all all of the, the the links to the tickets, etc., would be on our social media channels. Wonderful. Well, we will definitely um, link those over so that we've uh, we can try and get some get some people in to come and have a look. That, that would be fab. Yeah, that would be fab. Sam, thank you so much for coming and chatting to me. It, it's been, been it's great. lovely, and I think it's. Um, it'll be great for for our listeners to just have that lovely personal touch um, to it. And we didn't really, I, I feel like we must have mentioned Sarah Chapman, but we certainly didn't uh, pull on that thread the way that the, the way that you have. So um, it's wonderful to kind of revisit one of our favourite episodes and, and find another another angle on it. So um, thank you so, great. so much. Very glad um, to and so help. that that website again is uh, matchgirls1888.com. Dot org. Dot org. Sorry, see, I knew I'd get yeah. it wrong. Yeah, stand. <laughs> At least I got the numbers right. That's impressive for me. Um, so matchgirls1888.org uh, for lots of information. And I think what we might do is see if we can't get a little bit of a podcast posse to come to the, uh, the concert. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much.